No, all it tells you, it's brewed at the old mystery mill down in Geelong. And, uh, yeah. It's not a mystery. There's a great big sign that says Little Creatures. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's only well, about 10 acres. You can't miss it. It sticks out like a third ball on a racing dog, for goodness sake. Thanks to Cry Malt, a grain of truth in every podcast. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me today and uh, solo, well, no, well, it's a duo, isn't it, really? Um, anyway, Matt Kierkegaard, welcome. G'day, Pete. How are you? Good, mate. Thanks very much for uh, yeah looking after us for last week. We sort of, we between our two conflicting schedules and, and just being very busy and all the rest of it, we um, didn't quite get around to, uh, but we'll, t- we'll speak about why uh, we were particularly busy in the news part of of this particular podcast, mm-hmm. uh, but thanks for um, for covering and stitching together a couple of short interviews. Bit of feedback from those? Not so much from those yet. Um, you know, sometimes people uh, listen to it at, at different times. But uh, yeah, no, there were a couple of interesting, uh, couple of interesting podcasts uh, about no alcohol beer or alcohol free beer, and also about uh, PBR and what it means for tribe. So yeah, a couple of uh, good chats, and I'm sure we'll get some uh, feedback. Uh, it was quite a long one. It was certainly uh, it was about. Uh, uh, two cook limits long, so yeah, may, people may still be working their way through it. Well, Jamie also he'll be working his way back uh, from the road to Munich. Yes, which of, which of course is Stone and Wood's um, annual um, pilgrimage, I guess you could call it, where they take uh, five year uh, anniversary employees who have been there yeah for five years. On uh, so they go to um, they go to Brussels first off, then they go to the hop growing regions. They go to Dusseldorf and and Köln for Altbier and Kolsch. They go down to Bamberg, I think, and visit the Varman or Wyaman, uh, depending on which side of the area you grew up on, um, the Maltings in, in Bamberg and have some uh, Rauchbier uh, before heading to Munich. And this year they also visited a couple of hop farms as well. So, look, a great a great initiative, I think, for the for the company to reward those employees because we should point out, too, it's not just brewers or, you know, the, there's salespeople, there's brewers, there's... Um, uh, back office staff, you know, marketing, sales, you know, a whole sort of thing. So Jamie will be, by the time he listened to that, he would have been, yeah, possibly on a train or something like that. So maybe he uh, he actually appreciated having a longer, you know, <laughs> like a, a double cook worth of, um, of good bruise week. So, yeah, and, uh, well, we haven't heard from him for a while, but we'll have to uh, get in touch and uh, see what he's up to. But, uh, but Prof, we've got lots to talk about uh, this week. What piqued your interest this week, apart from the reaction to uh, the top 10 beers that new money pellets will not drink article? Yeah, look, mate, well, th- th- there is a, uh, a bit around it. It's interesting. Um, we did speak last week about the no alcohol beer, which, I, which, again, I found quite interesting. And hopefully, you know, even though I'm sure that a lot of our uh, readers are our listeners, just by dint of the fact that they're interested in beer, probably aren't you know hardcore mainstream uh, beer drinkers. But that piqued my in- interest because it is something new and novel and interesting, and you know there's a technique behind it, and you know just wondering whether there is a market for it. But the other thing, the story that I'm going to be following up today and having a bit of a chat about is um, this hard lager that's been released, Prof. I, I, now I don't know anything about it. No, I don't either. Carlton Dry Hard Lager. Um, can so Carlton dry you know Carlton 
dry is yeah. around is normally around about uh, what four and a half, four point three percent. Yeah, or something. Yep. And, and low carb and yep. They've released a something called Carlton Dry Hard Lager in a can, six point five percent. So CUB, which uh, last week was telling us that their consumers had told told them that they wanted a uh, you know low alcohol or a no alcohol version to fit their healthy lifestyle. Apparently, somebody has uh, told them that... <laughs> somebody didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah, some, well, somebody didn't get the memo or this is Well, somebody just turned, how... the, turned the memo over and on the back was, <laughs> but what we also want is a shit ton more alcohol in a standard drink. Yeah, but it, it, it's, mate, it, it's just interesting to see the way that the big houses play their cards at the moment. So last week, it was all media releases about uh, you know, no alcohol beer. This one slipped out. You know, I've seen it crop up in my social media as people have been discussing it. Nothing, um, you know, official about it. Um, but then again, you could say the same thing about Frothy, also from CUB. I was just about to say, apropos our discussion a few weeks back, where I mentioned uh, the the rumor file on Melbourne Three AW Breakfast, um, and, and I was contacted for for comment and said, "No, I haven't heard anything about Frothy, Furphy, Frothy, Furphy." Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting sort of thing, and and. Um, got in touch with you and you said, yeah, there's a, a trademark um, has been lodged. And then all of a sudden last week in my Facebook feed, I noticed people talking about it. So Matilda Bay Frothy exists. Well, as soon as uh, I'd heard rumours about it and, of course, jumped on the uh, trademark because they never do anything without lodging a trademark. So checked it to see that there actually was a, a trademark for it. And I'm sure we talk, talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, like on, on one hand... Whenever we've heard rumours in the past, um, <laughs> for example, uh, Forex Island, which is one of those ones that, uh, you know, we were onto it six, seven months before Forex Island was announced. Um, and then you get the straight back, uh, you know, we explore lots of opportunities and they don't all come to market. We have nothing to say at this time. And then suddenly there's a front page lead in the uh, um, News Limited papers uh, announcing Forex Island. Um, this isn't one of those things. You know, there's often no point in contacting the big houses and saying, hey, I saw a trademark for Carlton Dry Hard Lager. Tell us about it because they just don't. They run to their own schedules. But then suddenly you see it out in market and no word. So uh, now that it is out in market, I will be following up. But um, somebody did send me a photo of a frothy tap. Frothy, 100% local hops and barley. The most interesting thing about it is that it's under the Matilda Bay brand. And I can't think of the last time Matilda Bay actually, you know, I think there was Ducks Nuts and all of Minimum the, Chips. Minimum Chips and all of those brands. The last, about, you know, the last time they launched um, the 57th rebrand of the Matilda Bay lineup. Um, but yeah, so you'd think that given how much they, inverted commas, love the Matilda Bay brand, as I always tell us, you'd think that there'd be a bit of a song and dance about Frothy. Interesting that they've, that they've hitched its wagon to... Matilda Bay, whereas I would hazard a guess that 85.3% of drinkers who down furfies don't know that it's little creatures and it's lion. Well, it's not really little creatures. It just comes out of little creatures. Well, it's brewed at little creatures. Yeah, but then again, since when did that celebrate To celebrate the opening of the little creatures branded brewery in Geelong, let's let's brew a beer for the locals using all Victorian malt. But it's not really on the on, on the label anywhere to, to say that it no, is. No, all it tells it? you, it's brewed at the old mystery mill. 
down in Geelong. And uh, yeah. it's not a mystery. There's a great big sign. It says "Little Creatures." <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's but, over well, about ten acres. You can't miss it. It sticks out like a third ball on a racing dog. For goodness' sake. Yeah, but they're not trying to leverage off the Little Creatures brand. But the the thing about Furphy is that it's you know it looks like it's a Victorian beer. Um, you know, it's got the you know it's almost got the Carlton blue. It's got the V. Um, you know, it looks like a yep. 1970s AFL um, jumper. Um, yeah, they use local. You know, they use Victorian molten hops. The thing that I find interesting about this tap decal for Frothy um, is that it says 100% local hops and barley, and I wonder if that means it's the beer from around here. <laughs> It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't say 100% Victorian hops and barley. Just, it just local. Says 100% local. Now, is that local to Australia? Is that local to a region? Is that, you know, the beer from up here? Uh, well, and also, as one um, a good friend of the program, well-known, opinionated brewer points out, but if you, you know, how, how local is it if, the, if the, the malt is owned by, you know, a large American company and the hops are owned by a large German-based company and... Yeah, and and it's brewed by a multinational that's you know not necessarily very local. How how local is local? Exactly. Yeah. But look, good good luck to them. Uh, look, I think that'll be an interesting clash of Furphy versus Frothy. Uh, I just wonder whether they whether it's 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 come out perhaps a year too late. There are. 285 breweries in the country, all with an American style pale ale. And on one hand, you can't sort of say, you know, geez. They're all match racing because everybody's coming out with the same beers. Um, and, and that's very, very true. But this is a case where it's not just sort of bringing out, you know, a beer in that ilk um, and, you know, like a, everyone's bringing out a stone and woodish summer ale. And, well, not everyone, but, you know, a lot of people are. Um, but this is something where they are deliberately, I would argue, trying to create some brand confusion or leverage off the success of Furphy by having something that, you know, it, it's, it's close enough to remind you of Furphy without actually looking like Furphy and you may order by mistake or it's signalling that this is what it is. Um, you know, just like dry beers and ice beers and, you know, uh, pure and blonde beers. Um, and, and, you know, it, there is just something that is really unimaginative about um, the, the way that they've done this. It's a Me Too beer. It's match racing. Um, and, you know, it's just highly unoriginal. No doubt they'll be calling it our latest innovation in the in the uh, annual report, as if innovation doesn't mean what innovation actually means. Actually means. But, and, and I'm trying to sort of separate like a, a fairly dispassionate analysis with, I love the Matilda Bay brand prof. And to see them just heap this sort of shit on the Matilda Bay, you know, having you know, ignored it um, after, you know, heaping, you know, all sorts of garbage on it, after ignoring it, after rebranding it, to then just sort of go, you know what, we've got this brand here, let's just, you know, hoist this um, shit on it because we can. Uh, It just seems to be very disrespectful to a really, uh, you know, important historical brand that they profess to loving so much. Yeah, no, 100%. Couldn't agree more. There's stories I'm going to pursue this week um, to find out a little bit more. So stay tuned. Watch this space. We'll um, we'll give you an update in a Good Brews weeks to come. Yeah, just in in uh, in did it, did it, did it, did it, breaking news. Um, you got to visit uh, Fixation, the incubator. I did just before it opened. 
you happen to be down in Melbourne. I was. I was uh, down catching up with Megan, our uh, you know, wonderful Melbourne-based uh, journo, and uh, it just happened that that was the day before Fixation opened. So Tommy Delmont invited us in to have a little bit of a look. Really interesting to see. You know, it, it, it's there's just so many levels of interest in um, the Fixation brand. You know, it's um, they are out of uh, Byron Bay um, and Moolumba breweries from Stone and Wood, as uh, Tommy calls it, our business partner. You know, whereas I'd, I'd always tended to see it as like a, a bit of an offshoot from Stone and Wood, as opposed, you know, it, it's always hard how to categorise it. I read a really interesting article, which was an update of the um, the fixation uh, listing on Crafty Pint. Okay. In the, the the brewery directory there, and it was it was really interesting to see to to read just how the story kind of evolved. And and you're right, there was Stone and Wood saying, yeah, we're not really necessarily the brewer needs an IPA in our range is not kind of our thing but they kind of sniffed the wind and, and thought yeah, but you know what I reckon an IPA dedicated brewery would actually work in in the market um, and, and be able to grow and, and be sustainable with it and the timing was 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 just delicious in terms of uh, Tommy being at Mountain Goat and you know not long after the Stone and Wood guys had that um, chat with Tom, um, discovered that the sale was going on. They knew that Tommy was, you know, very keen to, I, I guess, profess that independence um, so that perhaps he, he would become available, would he be interested, so that, you know, the, the planets aligned and, and fixation was born. So I, I guess I look at it, having read that, as just kind of, a, I guess, the perfect storm where, where, you know, all the elements sort of came together at the right time. Um, and certainly, I mean, look, you know, uh, cards on the table, you and I – Sold quite a bit of fixation at uh, at the Echo this year. It's it's a it's a magnificent beer. It absolutely is a magnificent beer, and uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting that they've. Um, Tom is based in Melbourne. Um, the brand is very strong in Melbourne, um, even though it is a national brand. So it was interesting, uh, and perhaps not surprising that when they were going to open a, a consumer facing brewery, that they would choose Melbourne, um, and particularly that sort of uh, you know very hip, uh, funky part of Melbourne that is Smith Street, uh, Collingwood. But the, the other thing that it, it showed me, quite apart from being a lovely venue, um, you know, I, I tried a couple of the beers and, you know, they're an IPA, they call themselves an IPA brewery. Um, and just to put in parentheses, that was one of the things I talked to Tommy, you know, can you be, in, what is an IPA and can you be an IPA brewery when you also do like a 3.5% IPA and a 4.5% IPA plus your more traditional IPAs. You know, at what point is an IPA an IPA, and what point is it, uh, you know, a session ale, and what point is it a uh, an American pale ale? But we we did canvas that. But then, yeah, no, it's just interesting to see the way that they're going about it, which sounds like it's a little bit similar to the Stone and Wood Brew Pub that they're going to have in Brisbane, that was announced back in August, um, where they're going to great pains to say. We're not competing with you know our local hotels and our local um, customers. It's a training venue. It does give people a touch point to so they don't have to go to Byron Bay, so they can relate to the brewery and the brand in 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 different areas. That's you know to me that signals the the, the way that these um, uh, both Stone and Wood and other breweries are also doing this sort of strategy. Uh, you know shows that the market is changing and that you do need to. Um, particularly if you're going to grow, you do need to have a whole lot of local touch points. So you do stay relevant to people and you do have an ability to be in their lives in a way that, you know, they don't have to travel a long way to, to get to the brewery. Um, 
And these smaller venues obviously need to be self-sustaining, but at the same time, it does give a, a, a relevance to beers that are produced centrally and, and, and nationally distributed. So yeah, look, a, a great venue, awesome beers, awesome people, but it's also a really interesting signal for, for the way that the market is developing. Yeah, everyone here, obviously, at uh, Good Brews Week and the Australian Brews News family um, wishes them all the best. Yeah, and actually, the one thing I will say is that there were a couple of articles over the last fortnight about breweries you know, and pubs um, and the effect that one is having on the other. I think even uh, you know, James Atkinson um, wrote a story for uh, news during the week um, that was published uh, in the Good Food section of the newspapers, just talking about our breweries, the new new pubs, and sort of discussing that um, and speaking to his uh, good friend and regular uh, source, Mick Bain um, from Sydney. Royal Albert Hotel. Yep. Royal Albert Hotel. And yeah, I thought it was interesting because I'm, I'm sure that James was on a podcast, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we talked about this, it would have been two years ago, and I'd just pose that question, you know, do cities have, you know, uh, just a, a number of taps that is economic you know, in the space, you know, a certain a certain demand for tap beer that, you know, if you suddenly have 15 breweries open in the city, the way that craft breweries have seen with, you know, eight, 10 taps each, um, which is potentially, you know, 800 to 1,000 additional taps in a city, is that going to be taking custom and turnover from some of the traditional pubs? Um, and, you know, I, I don't think we ever resolved it um, when, we, when we talked about it or had any strong opinions about it, but... Um, yeah, so it was something that we were tracking two years ago and seems to be uh, an issue that is coming to the surface now. Yeah, it'll certainly be an interesting one to see in the next five to ten years just how the relationship changes and how the shift... And, and look, at the end of the day, uh, you know, breweries, pubs, brew pubs, uh, bottle shops, all really, um, I, I guess, in at their essence, at their core, are reactive to what the consumers are demanding. Exactly. Um rather than we'll tell you what you want. Because I, I remember, you know, and it's an age-based thing as well. You know, it's a demographic. I, I think how much time I spent in pubs, you know, it was every Wednesday night at the Asian Horses or the Manhattan, because that was where we used to catch up. That was our midweek. You know, there was a um, Jimmy DeVitis on the guitar, um, and that was, our, that was our, you know, that was our social sort of thing. And that once you get a little bit older, that's, you know, it, you move and you change and then you, you, you perhaps move out of the area because you get married, then you have kids and, and the whole thing sort of changes. I'm finding now that I've got a little bit more time I can sort of pop out to, to places and I'm choosing to go. I, I'd rather go to, for example, um, whether it be you know a stomping ground or temple or those kinds of places rather than the pub. Uh, particularly the you know the large sort of uh, not soulless but less soulful um, you know beer barns absolutely and then that's you know demographers and people who look at you know social trends talk about we we are becoming increasingly experience based um, and th- there's just something about sitting in amongst the stainless that changes the experience of having a beer from sitting amongst the plasma screens. Um, exactly. And look, I don't know about you, but when when we were younger, did you did you have the sort of, you know, sitting there drinking a 4X and I'm down here drinking a VB thinking, geez, I'd love to be able to go to the brewery and, you know, chat to the brewer about, or, you know, do a, do a tasting. No, God, or, no. Or do a, no it, was, it was, you didn't even consider that the beer you drank came from a brewery. It, it was just 
from a factory somewhere or, you know, like a massive distribution warehouse. Or, or we, we didn't even really sort of think about it. I think the, the beauty of, of the age we're in now is that, you know, we're far more in contact um, with our beer. And so there's that natural progression to, um, you know, it pops up on your social media feeds and, um, you know, Good Beer Week and, and the AIBAs and that sort of thing. You Breweries are represented by a brewer. Whereas, you know, I, I know the Breeny family has been brewing at Carlton and United Breweries, you know, for five generations or something. Mm. But I never figured that – I figured, well, yeah, okay, there's probably somebody who's organising the recipes. But certainly nowadays, it's, you know, you think of it more as, you know, a, a computer technician. It's a process. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's highly skilled, but it is um, a, a process. And I think that ultimately had a damaging – effect on you know, anything that becomes a commodity um you know becomes devalued and you know when you know beer was just about the brand um and not so much about the the liquid as the marketers like to say you know it's it's not about the drink um and, and you don't think too much about what goes into making it and the, the, the skill and the ingredients um you know it has a, a damaging impact on the product but then also it has a damaging impact downstream um on on all the elements and so and that's downstream away from the brewer in 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 the pubs because as you said you're just sitting there necking something um you know and it gets called neck oil and uh you know all of those things and uh you know and it's consumed in a venue that becomes a little bit soulless because it's just pumping out the you know booze whereas when you're in the brewery and you you know you you can see that there is a process and there are people and there's a you know ingredients behind it it does raise the experience but then also and this might be a nice segue just so we can keep the uh chat moving prof uh you know that there is that back upstream um, towards the ingredients. And uh, we, we saw this week uh, Barrett Burston and Cryo Malt um, launched an interesting product that was designed to put the spotlight well and truly back on one of the, you know, um, sometimes forgotten about ingredients of uh, beer. Yeah, yeah, and beautiful segue too, Matt. That was all, almost seamless. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Border Malt Project, uh, which, and, and you know, uh, cards on the table again, uh, you and I were both uh, involved with. You you were doing some um, consultancy work with um, with Cryo Malt, uh, as part of, I, I guess, as part of our relationship with, um, with Cryo Malt and Radio Brews News, but also um, you've been a, an integral link person, I guess, between, perhaps accidentally, but between the breweries uh, in, particularly in southeast Queensland, um, and and government in terms of um, being made aware. You've been helping them to become aware, I guess, of um, just how many award-winning quality breweries we have up in, in that part of the world. Absolutely. And, you know, like um, I was involved in you, know, you, you and uh, Post Project shot the, the the beautiful video that you can see on the Brews News um, website. And I uh, might even link to it, make a note to link to that in the show notes. Yeah, look, it, it, it's a really interesting strategy talking about um, ingredients being unloved. The you know, Barrett Burston has a maltings in Brisbane that has tended to cater to the big end of town, you know, um, bulk malt minimum delivery or your minimum size is a, a ton. Yeah, your bulk, of, bulk of bags, your tons, yeah. And a Which lot obviously of, for, for the yeah, small brewers who want, uh, you know, two two or three bags, of 25 kilo bags of, of a specialty malt or, 
you know, trying a new malt or whatever. You don't, yeah, you know, I can't really commit to a, a ton. Where yeah, am I going to put it? <laughs> Where am I going to put it? Um, and so a lot of the, the barley was malted in Brisbane and then sent for export or sent interstate, which again is a great economic story for the city. But with ingredients being important, um, Barrett Burston and Cryer looked at the story behind the malt and figured, well, you know, small brewers tell the tale about being local. So they do grow malt in the border regions of northern New South Wales and southeast Queensland. We've got a maltings here. Why don't we add to their story um, and, you know, as much as possible, um, source malt in that region, malt it in the backyard and then send it to breweries so they can, you know, add to their story about being local. And uh, it, I think it's a terrific initiative. And anything that puts the focus... Um, in a meaningful way on the ingredients of a beer um, adds to the value of beer generally. So, yeah, it was really, yeah, exactly. really cool. And I think, too, it's, it's very important to note off the back of um, the, the Signature Malt series that uh, Bintani was involved with as well, that it, it's, it's, I guess, saying, you know what, we, we have a very energetic, dynamic um, and growing, um, you know, small brewer market that perhaps – given our size, we haven't been as agile or as nimble in, in being able to, you know, service them on a, on a larger scale, particularly for, for things like, you know, your base malts. So to see both of them doing a, a similar kind of thing, I think shows just how vibrant and, um, and valuable the, you know, the, the inverted commas craft market is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, actually the other, the nice thing that came out of it, Prof, was the way that the government as you know, starting fresh on their plan to create a strategy that moved on to a strategy in planning, um, and now they're, they're actually progressing. But they're taking a very real interest in you know how things are going. And the, the minister was scheduled to present at, at the launch. Um, he you know great interest, uh, great enthusiasm. Unfortunately, it was held up by a, a, a budget committee, um, and so at the last minute. But uh, it, it it just shows that craft beer is actually starting to becoming become something that is you know getting attention. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and well done to you on uh, on your not insignificant role in uh, in making that happen. And we I guess we probably should you know also you know actually, yeah thank <laughs> thank Brewdog they started it all. <laughs> well, in in in. Uh... Inadvertently. In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing, think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Hawkers takes out international honours uh, again. Um, again. Congratulations, yeah, to the uh, uh, Hawkers had uh, won Supreme Brewer and Brewer of the Year Oceania in 2016 at the International Beer Challenge, which is a UK beer challenge. And this year they were uh, International Beer of the Year Asia, which was what was listed on the website. So I'm not sure whether they've broken out. Yeah, or whether they've changed the yeah the, the like the catchment areas or whatever. Because I know for the last, if you go back the last four years, it's been um, in the Oceania listed section. It was um, Hawthorne, 
then Hawkers last year was Pirate Life, and this year Hawkers again. We might actually we perhaps even get Muzzin on. Um, or Mick. <laughs> Mick's, Mick's, Mick's good at talking at the moment, but he can't do much else. He's just had a bit of a, uh, a hip adjustment. So um, we might get him on to, to perhaps talk about how it all works. And um, I mean, they, they must be very proud of, of, of the achievement because, as I say, I think there were uh, Pirate Life had entered beers again, um, Two Birds. And hawkers. I'm not sure who else. It's, it seems to be a good opportunity for people, particularly who are who are looking at getting into or are uh, into the the UK market. Um, it's a good sort of, I guess, you know, brand awareness program for them, and and to get people to you know become aware of their beers. Um, Bradford Tetlow joined in the conversation and mentioned that he was a judge, and it seems that there's a quite a different, uh, unique way of um of judging so it's kind of like a you know like a best in class or not but without the class absolutely yeah so i i thought it was an interesting one that you know like uh you've got things like the aibas and the the um indies where they've got here's your style guidelines here's the categories. here's the categories you judge against the style guidelines and yep. and all that tick, whereas tick box tick box tick box yep. yeah it was a, a little bit different um for the international uh, beer challenge which i actually you know again um you you may have different views about how um you know what that means but i like the fact you know if you've got 15 beer competitions that are all judging against the same criteria it doesn't really you know add any value you know, it doesn't add any difference it's just another competition that people then you know go trophy hunting or choose, pick and choose which ones that they want um whereas this one is one that provides a little bit of difference um you know and and you can, when you look at the results there you can hopefully start to ask what they mean and uh yeah so so that was good and the other thing i liked about muzzin's observation when i spoke to him about it was that you know they're not focusing too much on export but they are he, he thought that it was a good indication of how their beers were travelling because their beers, they, they didn't send the beers over specifically for this event, um, so they weren't necessarily the freshest for-purpose beers. So it gave a really good indication of how the beers would be going in trade um, for the beers that they were selling over there. So, yeah, so that was just a nice little bit of news for, for them. Yeah, and just for the listeners' benefit, I'll just read out um, Bradford's comment on the on the Facebook page since you know it was public. Um, I got a chance to judge there this year. It's such an unusual competition. They don't use a style guide. It's just like beers served together and medalled on how good they are. Look, at the end of the day, as long as all the beers that are entered are all being judged on the same criteria, then everyone's got an equal chance, haven't they? At the end of the day, being tasted or tested by the the consumer palate rather than a, a technical palate. Yeah, although, <laughs> although that in itself, you know, it, it's hard to find that right balance uh, between. And consumers every single exactly it's always fraught yeah you know? yeah, yeah um because at the end of the day too it's it's part marketing as well as um you know that science and art conglomeration kind of syndrome that we often talk about so you know yes it's got to be a technically good beer but does it really you know styles change so you know beers that we're, we're meddling in in um you know pale ale category uh, now might be meddling in summer ale or in australian style pale ale or new world pale ale or whatever it might be so you know we can be flexible yeah but i mean one of the risks is you know depending on on how well trained you are and i don't hold myself out as you know like i have done beer judging but i don't i don't actually like the process of it because it removes you from the everyday experience of beer to an element and like just this week i um was sent a couple of beers uh to try um some that i was really quite interested in trying um and i was drinking one i thought 
gee, this is a good version of X style, um, and, and really enjoyed it. But then as I went through, you know, it, it was sort of very um, striking up front. But then as I went, I, I really found myself thinking, oh, actually, what, what was it about it that I really loved up front? And, and sometimes you can have an immediate reaction that you know, when you actually go through the full process of in, enjoying a beer, that obviousness up front or that directness that uh, first hits you um, becomes a little bit more, uh, a little less moorish um, as you go on. Um, so it, look, judging beers is, is very, very hard. And uh, I think, I can't remember the exact quote, but, you know, the, the test of a great beer is your first mouthful of your second one or something along, along those lines. <laughs> look, at the end of the day, it's all really about opinion. Exactly. And speaking of Which opinion, just nicely into <laughs> the top ten beers that new money palates will not drink. Um, uh, a website that I've only just uh, discovered. Um, don't drink beer. Drinking uh, and the sub subheading is drinking beer, so you don't have to. Um, really lovely little weigh in on. Uh, in fact, I'll do, it's just a couple of um, sentences. So I'll just uh, read it out. In a beer scene increasingly dominated by monoculture, acid bombs, trubtastic slurry cans and flabby batter water, many iconic beers have fallen by the wayside. New palates have neither the time nor attention span for these outdated beers from the past. These beers represent the educational arc that many beer enthusiasts would imbibe on their way to honing their palate. We now exist in an insta-rone paradigm where learning is passe and not knowing is vulnerability. Now the beer journey begins and ends with a 16% double barrel pastry stout. A new beer palates don a jaunty expert cap and instantly dislocate their rotator cuff, <laughs> patting themselves on the back. As a result, I did, lo- I did love that. Yeah. No, look, there, there was there was everything about that uh, that I wish I'd written. <laughs> I did actually, as I was reading it, I'm going, oh, geez, Matt, Matt would love to have his name on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, and a couple of people You're saying said, what we're all thinking. This um, is the Batuta advocate of um, beer reviews, and it absolutely is. But in every uh, brilliant bit of satire, uh, this just has bullseye after bullseye after bullseye. Um, and so it was quite interesting to see the comments. Do you feel overall, though, that uh, – and, and let's name check the you – know, so the beers that, that New Money Pellets will never drink. So there's Orval, there's um, uh, Good and Drac, there's Old Numskull, which is uh, – who's that one? Alesmith? Fantôme Saison. Yeah, and, and a lot of these are beers that I haven't tried. Um, and if I tried them here – it would not be giving any sort of fair rec- you know, review of what they actually taste like, um, some of them, because they're not officially um, imported here. But, yeah. Um, but, but uh, yeah, so, so the, the, the 10 particular beers aren't necessarily relevant. I was pleased that Orval was the first one because that was exactly a beer um, that, you know, if you go back 10 or 15 years, that was a sort of beer that was infrequently available. It was multi- imported by multiple specialty distributors, but it was a beer that you go, Jesus, a beer can taste like that. Um, and again, I would never hold up. I have been lucky enough to try it in Belgium um, and you know, very much enjoyed it. But there are a whole lot of beers that, um, you know, genuine Hefeweizens, you know, not uh, banana bombs um, that, you know, if a little bit of banana and clove is good, then a lot must be better. Um, you know, just beautifully elegant pilsners. Um, the things that you could get 10 or 15 years ago, um, I, I think we laughed on, on, on the podcast a couple of years ago when I saw somebody describe a beautifully made local pilsner uh, a couple of years ago as, well, it's an approachable pilsner, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I saw somebody this week, Matt, exactly the same kind of thing. Um, not too bad for a lager. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Miro Bellini uh, weighed in a, a you know beautiful. I, I tend not to think that memes as debating points are you know necessarily persuasive, but Miro did um, post a meme that basically said, "I don't like stouts. One out of ten. And you go, "Okay, that's yeah. Look, I I, I know exactly what you're saying. You know, if you don't like uh, stouts, don't comment on it because you're just not qualified. You know, yeah, like a you're probably not qualified. And just just for the benefit of our listeners who don't get a chance to read the article, I've, got, I've just got to throw this one in because the, the descriptor, because Orval is, is one of those beers that both you and I have, as I guess, just those not ticked off beers or whatever. Just, just that's a, it's a, if I ever offered one, you'd never, ever knock it back. Um, and, and the and the descriptor on it was, uh, Raspberry Dorval, Orval. Good luck trying to get somebody from the 2017 BJCP class to open one of these. A Belgian beer that isn't lambic hot water? That will nerf your IG engagement. <laughs> Once you tell them it's also a pale ale, watch their supreme bucket hat sink lower as they try to reconcile why they would drink this classic genre-defining beer, let alone age one. <laughs> yeah. so, Which I it was just, just beautifully written. Anyway, so go go read it. Um, yeah. And it shows that we can't afford to take ourselves too seriously because at the end of the day, you know, somebody, somebody's going to pop your balloon. Exactly, exactly. And if social media is anything to judge by, it'll probably be yourself. It'll be a self-inflicted puncture wound. And if you find yourself puffing up a little bit with indignation uh, at that article, (laughs) um, there's a saying about shoes and fitting. Anyway. (laughs) um, All right. Letter of the week. Letters. Yeah, look, we've had a couple of great ones. We have zipped past the uh, cook limit, so we will uh, keep going. Lee Sloan, who uh, is, is a used to write, uh, um, and it's great that he's um, revisited um, the podcast. I, I don't know that he ever stopped listening, but he just uh, hadn't been in touch. But he's weighed in and uh, now gets a bar blade for his effort. Beer of the week as well. So, Lee Sloan, uh, hi, Brews Brothers. I enjoy all your conversation uh, podcasts, and even though the Goose Island one was a funded show, I had no problem with it being so. It was actually good to get a description of the Sour Sister lineup, as you don't normally go down that street with your other guests, and that would be the only thing missing from your other shows sometimes. Why should it matter about the funding? It is rare that when one podcast like that comes up, and as long as the show is interesting and factual, that is all you need. Like most brewery businesses, you take any funding you can if it does not affect your integrity and goodwill with what you're presenting. Keep it up, drink good beer. So thank you, Lee. Um, There were a couple of counterpoints. Um, I won't call anybody out, but there were some people who were a little bit upset that we had taken advertising. Sorry, it actually wasn't advertising. Um, It was, we we ran a conversation that we probably wouldn't have otherwise set aside time to record if there wasn't, if the podcast itself wasn't sponsored. But, you know, it was one of those ones that um, we'd spoken to Goose Island before. Goose Island are a very interesting brewery. Um, Bill Savage, who we spoke to, was somebody that I would love to speak to and have had on a discussion. We had a, on a good, weird, good Beer Week panel two years ago, Prof, when he was out. Yeah. Um, yep. Really interesting, lovely guy. But we had also done something uh, on Goose Island uh, at the start of the year and with so many breweries to, to get around to, you know, we, we don't get to get to half the ones that we want to. Um, and also... As we showed last week and sometimes this week, you know, we have to push ourselves and our schedules really hard to get these out as regularly as we do. And so if somebody says, look, you know, we're happy to sort of cover the costs of you recording and editing the podcast and, you know, paying Joe to, to do it, that when it came up, you know, well, look, okay, because we would have spoken to you and that was the only criteria. I think too, as Lee points out, as long as you've, we're upfront about it, we're not, you know, and we should point out if if, if we are ever um, 
you know, somebody, because we get thousands of, of media releases and, oh, this would make a really good podcast. Yeah, well, no, it wouldn't. It's kind of, it, it's nothing new or it's nothing necessarily newsworthy. Um, but, you know, if you wanted to showcase your thing, then that's more of an ad than a thing. Okay, then we'll pay for it. And yeah. we'll, we're, we're up front with saying this one is, you know, proudly brought to you by whoever the person is we're speaking to. And, and we did one with Citrus a while ago that was that. It was um, like a dedicated um, ad I set up front. Yeah. Look, this is actually quite interesting, but it is a, a paid ad. Um, so new up front. This one, I actually took a different tack, and that was the second um, element of, not. You know, I, I won't say criticism, but you know, feedback, um, was that I didn't lead with the fact that it was a um, sponsored podcast because it wasn't an ad, whereas the Citrus one was an ad that we tried to make engage, engaging and was relevant. This was a chat, and I, and, I was, and I did worry that if you set up front this is a sponsored podcast, then it would change the experience with the podcast. Um, so I, I, ran the, I ran the chat um, so you could hear it, and then in the back announced said, well, look, that was actually a sponsored, it was a sponsored chat. And I figured, you know, look, if you, if you find the conversation boring, if you thought I was throwing up softballs, um, you know, that they could hit out, if I wasn't, um, challenging and testing, or if it sounded like an ad, you probably would have switched off. Um, or if you was thinking, God, this is interesting. This is odd that they've included this chat, and then suddenly it's announced. You go, Ah, oh, okay, now I get it. But if I'd set it up front, you might have gone into it with a jaundiced view of it. So yeah, look, give us that. That was my justification. Um, if it sounds like a justification, let me know. But I did actually put some thought into um, what would, would give the best experience of the actual conversation not what would turn it into an ad and you know uh, make it all okay exactly mate we better leave it there thank you very much to all our listeners and thank you to everyone who writes in keep writing in because as i say thanks to our very good friends at beer cartel you can win a mixed six-pack is it a mixed six-pack it is isn't it it is a mixed australian six-pack plus your bar blade plus your um your, your special bruised news gingerbread so you do get a mixed six-pack and a bar blade um yeah. l- weekly letters um you do get a bar blade and a bruised news gingerbread there you go <laughs> it's just the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> I, I don't i don't know how we keep up with ourselves matt <laughs> So, so on that note, Matt, thanks very much. Um, I've got a few guests lined up, um, awesome. potential um, co-hosts uh, who would love to get on and, um, and and have chats with to share share the airwaves with us. Um, so I'll speak to you about those later. But thank you very much for your uh, participation again this week, Matt. Thank you, Prof. Thank you. And uh, yeah, look forward to and, and it was great to catch up, albeit very, very uh, briefly with uh, Mick Bannenberg. It wasn't possible. I would have loved to have just sat and had another beer with him. Um, he's just going through his treasure trove of everything beer related. And the story behind the story behind the story yeah. just, uh, is what really sort of tickles me. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's good people. Um, thanks very much, Matt. Thanks very much to all our listeners. Get out there, drink good beer, and remember, stick those beer selfies up your ass. I'm, I'm fair dinkum sick of them. Um, <laughs> thanks, Matt. See you again next week. And we're out. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh. uh, feeding it. It's, my feed is just getting plundered with the and oh, so and so's invited you. No, no, no. <laughs> Most of them won't even be a selfie because you can see both their hands in it. Yeah, we haven't taken a selfie at all. Be a timer, maybe. Uh, no, I'm I'm feeding him sick of it. it. It's not. It's just not a thing. Stop pretending it's a thing. And we're now we're really out.